Welcome to the Chef of X podcast. I take it CC stands for community college. Yeah. Well, what else would it be? Uh, the pressure. <laughs> closed caption. Closed caption. Yes, closed caption. Which is what I'll have to do to this interview. <laughs> anyway, so my first category of questions is: How is the world of criminal justice system different to the outside world? And like, before you answer that, I want to first get out of the way, like. What are the politically correct terms that are preferable to colloquial terms? Like, how would you refer to someone who is in jail or who has gone to jail? Things like that. Yeah, that's good. Um, so definitely someone who's in jail would be inmate. Um, but gone, I guess there are a lot of different ways you could look at it. Uh, criminal is one. Uh, savage is a popular one. <laughs> I meant politically correct. Uh, but the truth is, I don't know what's politically correct. I uh, chose the word incarcerated, but I'm incarcerated, not Incarcerated, sure. I think is, I think it's fair. I mean, to, to, but I don't know is the honest answer. I'd say it's fair for me. I don't like the word criminal because it criminal. stamps. It's like a permanent well, stamp. The, and well, to me, that's the funny thing about criminal. Hey. Anyway, well, so incarcerated is fine, and inmate is also fine, I assume. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So what well, are you... previously incarcerated. You're, while you're an inmate, you're incarcerated, but when you're not, you're not. You have been incarcerated. I have been incarcerated, yes. All right, that's good to know. What is it like inside of a jailhouse? Uh, so you can have a wide range of experiences. But um, I'll tell you some of mine that were very different from each other. One of them that right off the bat is important is how close you are to the other inmates. So usually what most people prefer and what I prefer is a dorm setup. So maybe you have 50 people, they're in bunk beds, the bunk beds are you know, separated into smaller groups, and, uh, but basically everybody can communicate with everyone else. Um, the next level down, I would say, is if you have a two-tier system where you're um, still, like, in a dorm situation, but only the top tier can communicate with the top tier, and only the bottom tier can communicate with the bottom tier. Makes so it's like, uh, you know, some kind of a building where there are two levels, there are stairs, and, um, and yeah, and then the next level be below that would be, uh, what is it called? Um, basically, uh, oh, cell living, where you're living with one other person, and you know you have some amount of time that you spend outside of that cell, but that depends on other things. Um, for instance, I know there was a system where people were in their cells, but during the day they all came out and interacted, so it was a mixture of those two. Um, and then I've also been in a situation where you could be in your cell for 23 hours of the day, or I guess longer, and you're with that person for an extended period of time. So that's also cell living. But I get, in summary, the next level is cell living where you have at least one roommate, and you get out with at least your roommate for some amount of time, an hour or maybe 30 minutes or more. And then another level below that is uh, when you're by yourself, in a cell, but you get out for 
some range of time. Could be you could be out with the dorm, or could be you know you're just by yourself, and that could be usually if you're just by yourself, you have less time out. And then there's solitary, where I've never experienced this, but I've heard of it, where maybe you're being punished or something like that, where you're just in a cell and there aren't any other inmates in that area and you don't have any communication with anyone else. Maybe even your window is closed. With all these other situations, you have a window. Um, yeah, so I think, I think that's the range. And then in my case, I started off in a dorm situation. First of all, I got arrested twice, all in the same psychosis I should throw in. So, I mean, me plus my brain melted, got arrested twice. But um, the first time I was in a dorm situation, and then later I was actually released. And then within like a week, I was in a a different county, uh, quasi-solitary situation, where I was in a cell by myself for 23 hours of the day. Uh, but there's a window, which you learn to make use of, and then other inmates are coming out, you know, for their hour of the day. Some of them in groups, some of them by themselves. And they can kind of communicate with you, right? I mean, they can uh, slide things under your door, like getting water was a big deal. Um, we didn't really have fresh water in our cell. Uh, but, the, yeah, so, and then eventually I ended up uh, back in a dorm situation, um, and then, yeah, that's then I got really released, and everything was great. I, I take it, it, depending on your behavior, you can be moved around. Right. Oh, yeah, and I should mention that, so, when I was in a solitary situation, initially, I didn't have any negative behavior, so it might have been for safety reasons as well. But, certainly, my behavior was terrible, and I've gotten worse and worse situ. Oh, I left one out which is in between the uh, single cell by yourself and the full solitary, which is the, dis- or the, the safety cell, where you're by yourself, you don't get out during the day, and you're directly in front of the guards rather than other inmates, and you're naked. Ooh. Which is supposed to be a safety precaution, I'm guessing. <laughs> that's, that's degrading. Uh, well, depending on the inmate, it might be empowering. <laughs> but yeah, those are the different those are the different levels. So you have the dorm, then you have the in a cell with one person, then you have in a cell by yourself, and then you have safety in a cell naked by yourself. Then you have f- full solitary. I'm guessing, but I've never seen it, which is that you don't have contact with other inmates or guards. Can you can you describe how? inmates access basic necessities like food, bathrooms, clothing, that kind of thing? Yeah, so um, roughly, I mean, the most general answer to that is prison politics. So basically, uh, there's a, when you're entering jail, it's not just that you're leaving society, you're also entering into kind of a primal society. And the primal society has its own political system um, that kind of helps people understand who gets what resources. Uh, generally speaking, the easiest way to think about it, and I'm not an expert on it, but you know, I've definitely had to learn it, <laughs> is, is that initially you, either it's chosen for you or you get to choose, like in my case, I got to choose which group you're going to be a part of. Generally speaking, it was uh, based on race or ethnicity. 
And after that, then within your group, there's certain ways of doing things. And uh, generally speaking, whenever there's a limited resource, whatever system of distribution that your group has decided is the right system, that's the way that different people get to uh, use those resources. But in most cases, for me, it was one, to my benefit, and two, it wasn't like anything extreme. Like I never had to beat anybody up or something like that. But um, it, it was, for instance, getting on the phone at nine o'clock at night. It's like a prime time for the phone. So, or getting on the phone at night, period. So um, the system that my group used was that there were seven phones and just two of the phones were our phones. So if everybody, um, if everybody kind of took turns. took turns and roughly it was like based on status within the group, like the biggest angriest person, if they wanted to go first, then they would go first. But then after that, it was really important that the next person you handed to was from our group. And in that sense, everybody could get on the phone if they wanted to every night and there wasn't any conflict. Um, but similar things with chairs, when you're watching a football game, or uh, like with showers, um, right after everyone's finished working out, um, there are distribution systems within the groups. And then overall, there are like general distribution systems, like haircuts. Um, like one day per week, the guards would bring in clippers, and the, the general consensus was like, there's a specific order, I think there were five different groups, there's a specific order that they've been going in since the beginning of time. So the first group gets to cut three people's hair, then the second group three people's hair. And if something, if there was, you know, some change or edit, then everybody had to be clear what was going on, but generally that's the way that things ran. So inmates are the ones who decide how all of this happens, not the people who, like, not um, the authorities or guards or anyone? Generally speaking, yeah, the inmates. So it's and there's a there's also a in between well it's not in between but it's like a position that speaks directly to the guards and there was one from each group and that was called the trustee they they also got special privileges like their bedtime they had an infinite bedtime or something like that um, but if it did boil down to the uh, usually they would want to allow as many people as possible uh, or allow the inmates to figure out their own system rather than stressing it. They just set the general rules like, hey, we're going to bring it in at this time and we're going to leave, we're going to come get it at that time. So if you guys mess that up, it's going to be, you know, bad for everyone. And then from there, you know, we, meaning the political system or whoever was in power at the time, would figure out how to distribute that to individual inmates. But isn't it the responsibility of the jailhouse to make sure that all the inmates are receiving the required quota of whatever like or is that not a thing i think it is for certain things like food or food. your your bedding you have to have like clean sheets or something like that so basic hygiene or basic living uh requirements i think that was on the end of the guys for instance every every meal you know you're having free meals until you're getting released you don't really have to worry or think about whether or not you're going to have a meal. It's just the quality of the meal. Makes sense. And can inmates cook, or do they not have access to that kind of... They do what's called spreading, which is a form of cooking, I guess, but it involves using, like, hot water from... Uh, 
yeah, hot water that you'd normally use for tea. Well, using that as like a mechanism for generating heat and then like putting things like uh, instant soups and things like that oh, into a meal or like, you know, what, really ch items that you could buy at like a 7-Eleven, those are like available to most inmates uh, through the commissary, which is, yeah. So um, they can buy those and enhance their meals or cook their own meals. And again, it's called spreading, though. It's not called cooking. <laughs> so, from from your description, I understand that a jailhouse or a prison is like a completely different society. It's 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 separate from the outside world. With a few so, connections, like the phone, right, right, money, but, but other for than the that, most part, day to day life is yeah, completely yeah. different. Right. So, what with that in mind? How? What are the like, what are the thoughts on inmates' minds? And, like, how do they differ from someone who's living on the outside? That's a good question. I think overall... Like, uh, let me, like, in, in case um, it was vague, like, as someone who is, well, free... My, free! My thoughts are, I need to get good grades, I need to graduate, I need to get a job, you know, things like that. But, obviously, if I were incarcerated, I would be having completely different goals. And right, right. So and I think you hit the nail on the head there. The goals that you set out for are based on different factors. Um, but overwhelmingly, they're based on trying to enhance your quality of life. And the way that you can enhance your quality of life when you're not in, an inmate are just completely different from the things that are rewarding to do when you are an inmate. Um, Cooking is one big thing that you could do to enhance your quality of life. Why? Because it takes time. It's a communal experience. Usually it's a communal experience where you're sharing food with other people and building relationships. Um, and that's understated right there, but building relationships is a huge thing. You're usually not by yourself, right? So your quality of life, like I recognize this, my quality of life certainly depended a lot more on the the interesting conversations that I had than any other one thing you know so but everybody's different I came from an academic background there most people obviously came from like a street life so the things that they value are completely different for instance I heard what I would consider terrible jokes and one test joke just to and I'm not joking about this that I thought I bet this would be considered a joke here so I'm gonna try it and the joke was, gay people exist. Yeah. And about three or four people <laughs> immediately started laughing. <coughs> so you're dealing with a lot of different value systems, people who have lived hard lives, you know. But ultimately, the thing that marks the difference between the way an inmate plans their day and the way, you know, a regular citizen in society plans their day is um, it's constrained by what goals would be rewarding to them. What's achievable, and also, out of those things, what would actually be something rewarding out of that? Um, and a lot of them are, like I said, relationships. A lot of them are status things, which are only rewarding because you're in a system of other people that have all decided that this is a marker of status. For instance, clothes. Wearing certain clothes will definitely raise your status because everybody, you know, we do laundry like once a week or whatever, twice a week. And there are, oh, there's a wide range of clothes. Some of them have like 
they're really faded and some of them are obviously brand new and what I found was the brand new clothes are actually worth a lot because yeah. when new people come in and they see you wearing brand new clothes they assume you have status um, and if that happens for long enough you actually do have status so uh, and it's also a limited resource so not everybody can have uh, like really new clothes you have to you must have been around for long enough to you know collect the clothes for for you to be able to wear them that makes sense but we do that on the outside Gucci Louis you know <laughs> that's not really too unique but uh, I mean in summary to me they're the same the way people live uh, in, in, in both situations, the only difference is what they're set up, setting out to do. What is actually rewarding for them? Status. Can that create disputes? Like, not only status, but would inmates make friends or enemies with each other? And if so, for what reasons? Well, definitely they, they make friends and enemies. Mostly friends in my experience. Um, generally speaking, people don't want problems. Right. Um, you're never the toughest guy on the block in jail. <laughs> right? So, um, but friends, it, for, I mean, it, for me, it's just to enhance your daily experience. It's better if you know more people. I mean, you're living with... A, one way I used to think about it is, like, you're doing yourself locked... You know, doing your own time locked away. But really, you're just living with people... And then eventually you leave, <laughs> right? That's a, that's a lot more practical way of thinking about it. So uh, making friends is the same as if you move into a new neighborhood. You don't know anyone. It's it's better for you if you uh, meet people. Because I hear a lot about like prison fights and all of that stuff, but it's. It's probably a lot less common than what the media plays out to be. I don't know. Because, uh, so jail and prison are different. Jail is, uh, you know, if you're accused of committing a crime, you can go to jail, bail out. Um, but you usually you haven't been sentenced if you're in jail. Prison is like hardcore. Like, if you're in for a misdemeanor or felony. That's also another part of it. If you do get sentenced on a misdemeanor, you go to jail and for some felonies wobblers whatever you can also go to jail but prison is definitely it's only for people who've been sentenced and it's only for felonies last time i checked but uh wait what was the original question do do they make friends or enemies and as, oh, as yeah, a, yeah. as a follow-up um to that it's still relevant do people treat each other differently when they learn of why they were incarcerated? Like, let's say there are two inmates, and one of them was in for, um, I don't know, a traffic violation or, or, like, petty theft or something, and then the other one was in there for, like, sexual abuse. Would, would people treat different crimes differently inside of the prison society or jail society? Absolutely. So, but generally, it's everyone's treated the same, except people with sex crimes. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, sense. most people are very, would be very honored if they could kill someone who had committed a sex crime. So it's just dangerous for the jails to even consider putting them in general population. 
given that the most likely outcome is they're, they're going to be killed immediately. So, uh, but everything else, no. I think there is a little bit of differential treatment when it comes to how much time you're facing. Um, people who are doing longer or are projected to do longer generally get along more than people who are like short timers. So, um, Ooh, that makes sense. Yeah, but it more boils down to lifestyle than it does to the actual time, I think. It seemed to me when I was observing this that you just live differently when you're going to do uh, more time and you value different things and you generally are attracted to people who value things that you value. So, it was very organic. That brings me to my next question, which is... How did the justice system treat you? And to start off, what prejudices or biases did you witness from people, including authorities, guards, other inmates? Uh, man, I... It's hard for me to remember just because I'm of the mindset that it doesn't really matter if you're prejudiced against me. Um, what matters is whatever goals I have. So it's just an obstacle, but um, you're constantly dealing with new stuff. So it's hard to remember any one. Generally, though, I witnessed a way, oh, I guess this is a prejudice um, that worked to my benefit, but it's that I, like, had a, before I did any crime, I just had a really long. Um, strong academic history and I know for a fact that worked out to my benefit um, also when I was in jail like in the solitary situation which was the second time I had been in jail um, my, I asked one of my uncles to send me a physics textbook and uh, the guards treated me differently after they delivered the physics textbook because they realized that I was a student and I was capable of doing other things and I was interested in other things besides you know, 99% of the inmates that they've ever seen. So uh, they would stop and ask me, like, while they were giving me some meal, they'd ask, like, uh, if I was a student or someone would, told me, you got to get out of here, this isn't the right environment for you, like guards. And, and that's not the experience of most inmates. It's just disrespect from guards or, or just the guards have low expectations for them. Um, but I think when it came to the sentencing, that played, the fact that I had a strong academic background played in a significant role um, because it shows promise that if I were released, you would... it's less likely that I would go toward a lifestyle that wasn't even my lifestyle. Um, it showed that what I had done was a deviation from the norm rather than uh, you know, who I was. Oh, also, I got a mental health diagnosis while I was in jail, before I got sentenced on either case. So, obviously, that helped me out as well. And a part of getting a mental health diagnosis is that you have to describe how you're feeling. And I feel that as a student, I'm a lot better at doing that than the average person who's in jail. Describing experiences, describing how, uh, for instance, um, uh... Like, I had hallucinations. I had auditory hallucinations before I committed any crime. And being able to remember and accurately communicate was something that I feel 
Even though it wasn't an official part of the process, it was a part of me getting the, the correct diagnosis, which ultimately was a part of the process of me getting a light sentence. That's really interesting. I do have a lot of follow-up questions on like health and even mental health, but for now this is a this is a cultural communication class, so I I need to get this one out of the way. How much does race play a part in how you get treated by again by authorities, by guards, by inmates? Uh I don't know. I don't think it plays a huge role. By, by the guards, but it's a huge role by the inmates because of the prison politics stuff. You basically have to identify which race you're gonna roll with. And um, whatever goes along with that goes along with that. Um, for instance, I had uh, white friends, right? Who, one of the rules of that group is that you're not allowed to like share food with black people. Well, you could, but it was a one-way deal. Like. I couldn't share something with them and they eat it. Otherwise, they would be punished by their group, that individual. But if they gave me food, then I was allowed to eat it because it wasn't against the rules of my group. So there was kind of like this one-way thing that, but the reason, but you can easily override that by just being explicit about it and talking about it. And uh, personally, I would joke around with people and um, make it like, even if you're not, uh, you don't have prejudiced beliefs. You have to behave as if you do. So just make it, just make it clear that that's what's going on. And uh, it uh, wasn't something that I really suffered from. In fact, <laughs> there was one case where I was talking to this white dude, and I, I left and came back, and all the black people came around me and said, "You know, what are we going to do about this?" And I said, "What's the problem?" And he said, "This guy, his name was in your mouth." Or, I'm sorry, opposite. Your name was, was in his mouth. He was saying something about you. And I was like, really? And so they were about to fight. They wanted to have, like, a brawl between races as a result, and you know, to deal with this situation. So I went over to the guy, the white dude, and I said, yo, why, why is everyone, you know, saying that you're saying stuff? What happened? Tell me why everyone's upset. And it turned out he was telling a meaningless joke. Right, uh. but they didn't know that I had a relationship with this person, so their automatic response was, "He's threatening one of our people, therefore we need to, you know, get down." And uh, I said, "Okay, let's like I'll shake your hand in public or whatever. <laughs> we'll do like a, you know, we'll do some kind of a truce so that other people see that there's no issue here." And uh, it turned out that resolved everything, but uh, yeah, there race definitely affects you as an inmate but it's not that you're being discriminated against it's that you're living within the prison politics I, I get it whether you're a racist or not and there's a consequence if you don't live within the prison politics what about like authorities because when like before you even get put in like the the decision to arrest, doesn't race play a part there? Oh, you're right. You're right. There was a case where <coughs> race almost certainly played a part, uh, which was the second arrest. Um, so the second arrest, I wasn't doing any crime. I was walking on the side of a freeway. 
and a police car drove up and said, I'll give you a ride. And I said, no thanks, and then kept walking. And uh, he got out and negotiated, hey, you know, this is dangerous, blah, 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 blah. I want to give you a ride, so just, you're not arrested or anything. I just, you know, I'm going to give you a ride to wherever you're going to go. But there's no city 10 miles in either direction of where you are right now. Um, so I just said, no, I'm fine, you know, I haven't done anything, so whatever. And then he said, here's the thing. <laughs> if you don't get in the car, then that's suspect because it's pretty weird that you're out here, you know, just walking around. Um, but you're not under arrest. But I am now more suspicious. So I was like, okay, but I haven't done anything, so whatever. And he said, I'm getting nervous. And at this point, the officer, white dude, was physically shaking like he was afraid. I was just standing there saying, no, I'm not going to get in your car. But uh, he said, uh, like... I need to search you or something like that. I need, like, now that I'm... Basically, the argument was, because I'm nervous and because you, I suspect something's wrong, now something is wrong. So before, there was nothing wrong. But, like, I'm freaking out. So, therefore, now I have reason. And, uh, and he started reaching for his waist. Now, I'm a lucky black dude because he wasn't reaching for his gun. But he did end up trying to tase me quasi-successfully he did tase me um, which just and this isn't just for sensationalism but this is true since we're on the subject uh, he tased me in the face but here's the thing the taser has two darts right to complete the circuit one of them goes into my cheekbone the other one misses me right because when he tased me I was turning around and running in another direction and then he just pulled out the taser and shot. But it didn't complete the circuit, so I just kind of felt something weird in my face and kept running. And then uh, later on, I ended up getting arrested later that day because I did run away from the police, and I think that counts, even though there was nothing on me. But uh, the decision to go from this person is refusing to get a ride to this person is dangerous, I don't think that would have happened if I were not a 6'2 black dude. But it turned out I had done a serious crime, so, I mean, you, ultimately... You got arrested for resisting arrest. Oh, yeah, I got arrested for <laughs> resisting arrest. But then, when I was arrested, keep in mind, I was delusional at the time. When I was arrested, I immediately admitted to everything that I had done, which was serious. And then, I think, I never saw the police report, of course, but, uh... I think eventually I gave them reason to like, okay, you could write me up for this. But the real reason was just because I was walking on the side of the road. There was actually no one had caught me for the serious thing. I just told on myself because in my delusional mind, uh, going to prison was the way to some great thing happening. So uh, anyhow, I wanted to go to prison at that time, but otherwise there was no reason to arrest me other than me saying what I had done or me really refusing a ride. That was the crime. <laughs> that was the original crime. <laughs> but ultimately, that's how I got mental health treatment. So I can't really, you know, get mad at it. You said 6-2. That brings me... That makes me wonder what factors other than race, and not just, like, obvious ones like gender, but also clothing or 
um, literacy. Oh, yeah. I was hella suspicious, man. I had on so, these black glasses, a black hoodie that I had stolen. It smelled like beer. Uh, skinny jeans, you know. I look like a kind of punk kid. Um, but overwhelmingly, it's just, you know, just the fact that some officer decided this person's dangerous, you know. And what that's based on, obviously, race is a part of it. Um, what else? Uh, well, there, there were times when I was in jail that I was being dealt with aggressively. But it was also, like, that was the whole idea for me. It's like I said, I, I had a bunch of weird beliefs. Like, I wanted to go to prison. I wanted to be the worst inmate in there. I wanted a thousand other things that don't make sense. Um, but one of them involved, a couple of them involved me, like, getting wrestled to the ground. In which case, I thought, like, man, this is, like, a lot of people. Like, I feel like one person could take me down. Um, but then there are other cases where there were a lot of people on me and I felt like they weren't they didn't really have a hold of me like I could have broken free so um psychotic strength if you will <laughs> but but um I mostly appreciate that you're able to laugh at this well you gotta understand I have first-hand experience with this and this isn't the first time I'm hearing this this is years ago I got arrested in like October of 2015 and I was out of psychosis by March 2016, which basically meant I had a normal brain for a long time while I was in bad situations. So uh, humor can be the result of exposure. And um, when you don't have problem sets to solve, you can engage in creative activities where your experience is the data. And that is the case for a lot of entertainment things and especially humor. Um, it's something that's built. I had the exposure and the mind to build it, so and the time, so I think that's why I spend a lot of time uh, doing that. Also, it helps to connect. Humor, humor to me is like a super language because it's a language between languages. Like if I'm not a part of your social group, humor will help us connect in a way that being conservative won't. So um, having a willingness to say. I can look at myself the way you see me and the way I see me, I think is a very important thing when you're dealing with people facing prison sentences or who have already been sentenced. And, you know, they're not really from the academic world. So you got to find some way to have positive experiences. And that was one of the big ones for me. What crimes, in your opinion, are punished too severely or, I don't know, maybe even not, too, not severely enough? in the context of how law enforcement treats um, criminals or prospective criminals? Uh, I think that... Um, like, I mean, for example, if you get pulled over by a cop and let's say you have, like, a marijuana on you, would, would they treat you completely differently to if you didn't have marijuana on you or if you got pulled over for a traffic violation, would they treat you differently? I'm, I mean, this might be a dumb question, but what I'm trying to get at is, does the way law enforcement treats you depend on the reason why they pulled you over, or even what they perceive as the reason they pulled you over for? 
Um, well, if you want to expand that to just any arrest, definitely. Because I know, um, I know this guy who, uh, who got arrested at his house. And his original charge, I think, was uh, something dealing with the weapon. Uh, I forgot exactly what it was. But it was one where it could be considered a violent crime. If you have, a, you know, one judge can say, can point it one way, the other judge the other way. Because he also had, uh, like, mental health issues in his background. But he said for his arrest, it was very dramatic because they had to, oh, it was assault with a deadly weapon. They had to assume the worst, basically, and he had gone through the system. He had uh, been out on probation, and he was required to do a specific number of things, and he didn't do those things. He decided, I'm not going to do this anymore, which basically means it's a matter of time before there's a warrant for your arrest. He went home, whatever, he was living at home, just ignoring the court system. And, but when the cops came, it was like guns in his face, and they dragged him out. Uh, he didn't have shoes on, <laughs> right? Um, there may have been family members in his house at the time. So it was really like seven men with guns at his house. And that's a different arrest from you just get pulled over and they find marijuana in your car. And then they can, you comply, they can arrest you and put you in the car there and take you, take you home. Really, they don't have to ever bring out guns or violent, or, you know, etc. cetera. Uh, so but cooperation I think helps. Cooperation helps, but also, yeah, cooperation actually applies to something like that. So yeah, cooperation helps. But it's not, I mean, just because you cooperate doesn't mean you're going to have a swell time. You know, you might still get hit with a nightstick or something like that, depending on the officer or the circumstances. <laughs> But what, in your opinion, is Oh, which, which are... Okay, so these are the things that come to mind immediately. Uh, gang, advance, gang enhancements, I think, are a tragedy. I, 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 being a part of a gang seems to me to be a function of the environment that you grow up in and not a function of your character. Um, so it's not very far off from... Uh, it doesn't mean that gangs don't do bad things. I'm saying the way that if you interview people and say, why did you join a gang? When did you join a gang? Overwhelmingly, it was when they were very, very young. There was some degree of force involved, like they could have been beat up or killed if they didn't. And then after that, then, you know, whatever happened, happened. But usually people are socialized into a life of crime. So, and being a part of a gang should not make your... your uh, sentence worse than anyone else. Gun enhancements? I don't know because I don't know anything about the world of guns. But uh, gangs, to me, are such a sociological issue that depends on things you don't have control over. And in many cases, they could be a form of self-defense. So uh, it just seems sad that some. I think you can get your time doubled or something crazy like that if they find out you're a member of a gang. Um, but. Uh, and once you're in, it's like you can't really be out. It's almost like the criminal status, you know? So if you grew up in a certain neighborhood and you had to join and then you're out, well, now it's just the permanent thing for you is if anything happens, this is going to be stamped on top. Gang member, you know? So uh, I thought the gang announcements were a tragedy and then... Uh, in general, I think prostitution should be legal, so I don't think pimping and pandering is a huge of a deal. But I know some guy who... I don't know if this was what he was sentenced for, but he was a pimp. 
and he was like 25. He was just facing a life sentence. He was like, yeah, I'm going to be in prison for the rest of my life. Um, but, I mean, it's kind of like a weird argument to make, I understand. But he was like, it's not that he was a cool guy. It's that he had the potential to be a regular member of society. Um, he was not committed to crime in the sense that I saw a lot of other people because pimping is kind of a psychological game. It's like it almost filters for smarter people. So, um, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be violent because in certain neighborhoods it's easy to find people who want to work for you, uh, which is another sociological phenomenon. So, the result is it's just a form of entrepreneurship to me. And, uh, if it were legal, if it were legal, it wouldn't regulated, yeah, then there wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, so uh, people obviously like having sex. So uh, it's legal to have sex, and it's legal pay to pay it. people for <laughs> services, but it's not legal to pay for sex as a service, which blows my mind. Yeah, so that would go on the pimp and prostitution side. I'd say both of those are pretty harsh. Uh, an extreme one, I would say, is when we go to, like, child molestation. Oh, no. I suspect that that's a brain thing and not a character thing. Because I don't think people can choose who they're attracted to. That's, that's, honestly, and this is coming from someone who is LGBT, but pedophilia is one thing that I it's very I disturbing. Wanna, I don't want to touch that topic with a ten-foot pole. Okay, yeah, but that's I would <laughs> I would say that in the future I suspect that that will be one of the things. And this is coming from a mental health case, right? Where I got more leniency because people understand mental health. I think that'll be a case where um, I therapy needs to be developed rather than treating it like no, you're just an average person who just decides to terrorize a kid, in, which in I don't countries, think is, is true. In countries like Germany, and I think even some other European countries, they, the way they treat, not only like the government, but socially, the way they treat pedophiles is different from the US. They're given, it's more like they're sympathetic, not of the crime, but of the person. Like, you're suffering from something, and what you need is mental health right. uh, support. But here in the US, it's it's not just pedophilia. If you think about it, it's true for almost any mental health issue. Right. It's you're you're an asshole criminal and you deserve to be punished. That's right, right. it's kind of like a a black and white dichotomy here. It's I don't know whether that's the result of people in power or what but I do think that's something we need to address as a society actually I'm glad you said that because <coughs> one big general theme that you're hinting at is something that I feel that I've observed directly which is that most crimes are actually emotional problems it actually has nothing to do with the crime it has everything to do with something else down the line some system of thinking about masculinity, some system where you're not allowed to express yourself, some something, at least for men. Usually crimes are social phenomena where they seem to be, where you're living within a set of rules that if you abandon them, you won't be a criminal anymore. If you abandon the idea that, you know, if you don't beat this guy up, you're weak, 
then you're not gonna, you know, as soon as you abandon that idea and you think, no, it doesn't mean I'm weak, then you're not motivated to do it anymore. But a lot of things, gangs might be one of the big ones. I mean, to me, they, fraternities kind of mirror this. But a big part of that whole process is you growing up seeing men behave in a certain way and thinking that's the norm. And what is included in that norm? Violence is included in that norm. Um, people shaming each other for having, for being emotional is a part of the norm, right? Don't be like this, don't be like that, don't be a little this, don't be a little that, do this, because if you do this, it means that now you're, you know, you're finally masculine. And um, these things seem like they could be fixed. This is psychological, it's not even about, yes, the consequence is a crime, but it appears that, you know, on the front end, there's plenty of potential to probably not eradicate this behavior, but definitely reduce it if it were acknowledged as a psychological and social phenomena. If you think that it actually is individuals who are doing this thing one by one, independent of each other, then yes, arresting people, throwing them in a cage is the correct solution. But that doesn't seem to be reality. So not just mental health cases, but arguably anyone who's in jail is a form of a mental health case. Some of them it might be mental instability, but others it might just be emotional management, which ultimately is about your mind and how you think about the world and your own emotions, how you process shit when, you know, when it doesn't make sense to you. And overwhelmingly, those were the flaws in the inmates. Not that they were psychopaths. I, I was surprised at how little, how few people that I might describe as a psychopath I, I had met in those situations. Most people were 100% reasonable. I really want to go, because the first few questions, I got all of them out of the way, were more like experience-related questions. I have a, another set, fewer, but they're like philosophical questions, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's the discussion I really look forward to having, because... Let's postpone it. Yeah, on Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. yeah, yeah, same time. Gracias. All right, I gotta run off the I'm a real tigger, I got triggers Dip her in honey, I will lick her Like Pooh Bear, I'm too rare You care bears, your crew scared Tape here when the fam's near Cheap shit, that's out Weekends in the kitchen, off the deep end But I'm living Ooh, cleaner than soap box The Chef of X Podcast Mmm, delicious